Paul wrote, Paul wrote, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Well, good morning, friends. Uh, glad you're joining us. Today we're going to take another glimpse into the life and the ministry uh, of the Apostle Paul. And, and as I've prayed through this passage, as I've dug into this scripture, which is actually a pretty long scripture. You can go to the next slide there, Lise. You'll see Acts 21, 27 through 22, 21. So we've got a lot of ground to cover, but as I prayed through this and as I've sought the Holy Spirit for guidance, one word has bubbled to the top uh, of all of this, uh, all of these words of scripture, and that word is love. Love. And I think that, that Dr. Luke, uh, the, the author who is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the book of Acts, I think that's what he's trying to convey here. And I think that's what that I want to try to convey is this overarching love that Paul is showing. Another letter Paul wrote was to the Galatians. That first portion was from uh, uh, 1 Corinthians. Galatians 5.13 for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Why is Paul focused on love so much to win others to Jesus Christ, to, to move people away from the wrath of God? He loved people. You guys know the uh, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in tongues of men, of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a, the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how good you are, how many good things you do, how many things you give away. If you don't have love... You're absolutely nothing. That's what he's saying here. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of long, wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That, that is, that's the whole crux of everything that Paul's talking about because Jesus Christ is love. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. It's all about our love for God, our love for people. If we are to live a selfless life, and that's what this, that's what this is all about, living a selfless life, a life that's not focused inwardly to ourselves, we must examine our hearts and examine our own capabilities of how we can love each other and how we can love God. Today we're going to go through a pretty long piece of scripture and, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to stop in chunks. We're going to just chunk it out so we can all stay on the same page so we know where we're at. Uh, again, we're going to span two different chapters here, starting with Acts chapter 21, verse 27. Okay, So if you have your Bibles, pull those out. There's Bibles also in front of you uh, if you don't have a Bible. Uh, this, uh, all of my verses are from the ESV. Acts 21, verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed. Remember these seven days? They're referring to, to the seven days, uh, the vow that he, is, he said he would be part of with the other four people, uh, a special purification that he was going through, uh, 
probably a Nazarite vow, which included a period of seven days. Um, but, but this is really our first point, actually, and, and I'll speak more about it later. If we are to live a selfless life, we must be all things to all people. We must be all things to all people. Paul didn't have to go through this vow. Uh, that was talked about last week. Uh, Kevin spoke about it, about how, how Paul not only got involved with these four people and, and, and himself, he also paid for all of it too. He agreed to pay for it all. And he said, money is just money. It doesn't matter. I'm going to be part of this. I, I, I'm going to be all things to all people. We've seen several times throughout all of Paul's ministry and we're, this is 30 years into his ministry, and we've seen how Paul is just serving people as an apostle. What a great example uh, to have a life that's not a life of pride in yourself. To understand that you don't always have all the answers, or your way isn't always the only way. I'm guessing as Paul did this specific vow that he's completing here i'm guessing these previously seven days he shaves his head or and whatever else he he had to spend i'm guessing he didn't do it in a grumbling posture that he was he was mad and and upset about it in fact he said he told the philippians in the second chapter do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of god without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. When you are all things to all people, there are times you are going to be taken advantage of. There are times you're going to do stuff that you do not like. As long as you are not going against Jesus Christ. That is what Scripture is calling you to do, to, to be all things to all people for one reason. To win people to Jesus Christ. That's the whole crux of this whole thing. He wants to win people to Jesus Christ. Amen? That's our goal. That's our job. That's what we are here to do. Not to live our own life and, and just see how we can get through and, and eventually become grandparents and see the grandkids and, and then eventually say goodbye. I've been hearing a lot of talk as I'm getting older about these, this thing called retirement. I don't know if I'm ever going to retire. And you know, we never retire from our, our position as Christian, our position as missionaries our position as people who proclaim the gospel there is no retirement from that the goal is to win people to jesus christ and that's part of what paul is saying be all things to all people as long as you're not going against jesus christ all right continuing on verse 27 uh, the jews from asia seeing him in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him crying out, men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law of this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Now remember, this is the Feast of the Weeks going on. We often refer to it as a, a Pentecost. And, and so... The Jews uh, would, would, would make their trek all the way there, and, and, and Jerusalem would swell up to maybe two million people at this time. Tons and tons of visitors, tons of people were there. And, and the best guess that, that these Jews who are starting this grumbling, starting this, uh, this argument, if you will, are, are from Ephesus. That's, that's the best guess because of, of their recognition. And, and they might even been part of the uprising that happened there. If you remember, they, they watched Paul for three years at Ephesus. About three years he stayed there, one of the longest of all of his journeys. And, and 
there was a huge uproar there that, that eventually uh, the governor or, 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 or whoever it was, city official, got everyone to calm down. And they were, they were all upset about Paul. And now they're, they've made their way down to, to be a part of this festival. And, and, and so they're upset because they are devout Jews. And they are so upset that Paul is doing what? He is helping Gentiles be converted. He is saying that Gentiles are on an equal level as Jews. So Paul's seen as the enemy. And they would love nothing more than to get rid of him. You know, I don't know if it was a long thought out plan or not. Or, or if they just, there, there was a couple of them together. They like, hey, you see Trophimus there? That's how we'll get them. We'll get them there. You know, they first, let, let's start accusing him of, of going against the law. And then, and then we'll, we'll throw a cherry on top and we'll say, that guy Trophimus, man, he's going into the temple. Remember back in Acts 20, early on in Acts 20, Trophimus is mentioned with uh, the companions of Paul. All of these people came with Paul, Trophimus being one of them. And, and, and so they're saying that Trophimus came in with Paul, who would go into the temple, the same exact temple, by the way, of that Jesus was turning the tables. Remember when Jesus turned the tables and, and he was so upset? Uh, he said they were uh, robbing the temple and, and, and it was just such horrible behavior. This is the exact same temp, uh, temple. And so they're saying, hey, he's bringing them in there. Here's a sketch of the temple, just to give you a little visual. Go to the next one. And you see kind of the design. I won't go into the deeps of this, but on the, where the arrows are pointing, that's the court of the Gentiles. They had to stay on the outskirts of it. They did not want them to defile the temple at all. I mean, this was still where, where you can go into a certain depth but then you get to the court of priests. Then you, then you start pushing in all the way to the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest could go in with, with the rope tied around one of his legs so they could pull him out if he died. And, and, and so they are still devoutly focused on this law and following this. They're not following Jesus Christ. They have not been freed from that, even though, even though the curtain had been torn from the top down. So they don't want... This Gentile, they're like, man, people are going to be ticked about this. If they can prove that, or even just accuse, that he brought them in there. And here is a sign. This is an archaeological find. This is one of a, a two findings of a sign that they found from the temple that was posted up for all the Gentiles to read. Here's what it said. No foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade, which is the railing of sorts, and the plaza of the temple zone, whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. Anyone, anyone who went into the temple that was a Gentile, even if it was a Roman, the Romans would back it, and that person was killed. They took this very serious. And, and, and so, nowhere in Scripture does it say that Trophimus didn't go in there. But we could deduct, based on who Paul is, being all things to all people, that he didn't take Trophimus with these signs up there into the temple with him, knowing that he's going to be killed. More than that, we know that Paul, being all things to all people, wouldn't defile the temple that way, even though he saw the Gentiles and, and the Jews equal in the sight of God, he would not have gone against that tradition because he was all things to all people in that. He wouldn't risk his friend's life. All right, we'll move on to verse 30 of Acts 21. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. So Paul's in the temple, it says here. 
probably completing the seven-day vow, maybe getting ready to sacrifice, and they grab him. And they, they pull them out, these Jews from Asia. They start this whole frenzy. It's interesting that the people who are worshiping the Almighty God are at this point so mad that they're willing to kill the one who's preaching the Almighty God to the droves. Sounds almost like what happened with Jesus or even Stephen. Very similar situations. And, and they closed the gates behind him. Well, because this guy was being taken out into the court of the Gentiles. And they did not want bloodshed to get into the temple, which would defile the temple. Laws being followed while someone's being killed making sure that all the things are buttoned up. Verse 31. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. This message, it was traveling quickly as this mob action type went on. It was almost like Twitter and Facebook were alive and, and people were tweeting it out. And, and they were letting everyone know about it and the word was spreading. And, and was spreading fast. And, and, and you know what? The Romans... One thing on their watch was not going to happen. It was going to be a fight. It was going to be a mob action. They had tons and tons and tons of people there to spend money in different ways. And they were going to have order. They demanded order in their societies. And they weren't going to have it. So it finally came to, uh, to a, the Tribune, which is a man who's in charge of a thousand men. And, and we know that it was Claudius uh, Lysias, uh, and he was stationed at the fortress of Antonia, which is connected to the temple, I think on the northwest corner. And so he's there, he hears about it, and, and this is the last thing that Claudius wants to have, have happen. And you know what, he probably thought, and we see this later actually, that, that the Jews finally caught the Egyptian. There, there was this whole group of assassins, and, and this small batch of, of people from Egypt got away from, from being captured, and they had been coming into Jerusalem, and they, their only job in their lives were to kill the Jews. We see that, we've seen that all through time, haven't we? And they would take little daggers, and they just walk up to them and just kill one Jew at a time. There was a handful of them left, and one of them was the leader, and Claudius probably suspected this is him. They finally caught him, but I still can't let them start a riot, start a mob, because I, we need order. So Claudius runs down, and, and he's, he's going to deal with this. Six times, six times throughout the book of Acts, we see Paul getting the public in a frenzy. Six different times. Acts 14, verse 19, tells us of the Jews coming from Antioch and Iconium. Crowds riled up, and they were prepared to stone Paul to death. Acts 16, Paul and Cyrus, they're preaching. Uh, they came across that slave girl that was possessed. Remember, she was a fortune teller making tons of money for her, her owners. And, and, and she just kept following Paul and Silas. And Paul's like, oh, I'm so annoyed. I think the scripture actually says annoyed. He got annoyed with her. And the demon, the, the spirit came out of her. God took the spirit out of her. And, and so they lost all the money. And so uh, they weren't happy, and they, they beat him with rods and threw him into prison. Acts 17, Paul and Silas, they stopped at Thessalonica. They led many people. Remember, they led Jews, they led women, but tons of Greeks they led to, to Christ. Verse 5 of Acts 17, but the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And then the, those exact same jealous Jews, they followed them to Berea, and, and they started a, a mob scene there. And then the fifth one in Acts 19, we see the crowds get angry in Ephesus. Maybe these same Jews, they got everyone crazy. They were all upset because remember they were they were losing the opportunity to sell 
uh, the statues of the goddess uh, Artemis. And, and so they weren't making money. And so what do you do? You've got to find out the source. What's the source? This guy keeps converting people to Jesus Christ. And they're not buying statues anymore. We need to make money. We need to get them killed. We need, need to get them out of here. And so they started a, a frenzy there. And then the sixth one being this one. Crowds are going crazy because the, Paul that, the, the life that Paul is living, he's living a life that is trying to proclaim Jesus Christ among the unclean, among the Gentiles. That's the crux of this whole thing. They just did not like that. It wasn't even about money at this point. It was about jealousy and being upset of, of bringing them into the fold, if you will. Verse 32. He at once took sh- soldiers and centurions. Centurions are people who are in charge of a hundred people. Soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So they run down these steps. And, and they go to Paul, who was in the midst of this crowd, getting punched and kicked and spit on and, and poked and, and who knows what else. If they had uh, stones at the time or they had anything else, I don't know. But he's being beat up. I wonder how long it took him to react. How long did it, did it take him to figure this out? How long was Paul actually getting hit? How, what, what injuries did he have? Because they took him out, it says, in order to kill him. So if you're willing to kill somebody, you're going to hit them any way you want. You're just going to pound them. I don't know. That, that was pretty crazy. But they respected the laws of the Romans. And when they saw the tribune there, man, they straightened up immediately. You know, I, I'm teaching right now in Lockport, and, and my job as of recently is I'm helping um, some students that may have had some difficult times behaving. And so I've got a handful of students that uh, I watch on a, on a daily basis and uh, love the, the little cherubs and, and care about them. But when you're sitting in a room with these middle school kids, um, for seven hours, they can get a little restless. And it was Friday, and a couple of the kids were moseying around the room after a couple requests to sit down and get back to work, and there was some chatting going on, and maybe a couple people not doing some stuff. Well, we were in this room, it's the health room, and, and down the hall is the door, and there's a semi-long hallway and we're kind of like isolated from everything else well when we could hear that door open and when we hear that door open i mean everyone just kind of like turns their ear and and you can tell when if the if it's the superintendent walk you can hear her she's always wearing high heels you can tell if it's the custodian because he's got seven thousand keys okay well this one they couldn't tell for some reason but then all of a sudden, I think they figured it out because of the, the stomping that it was the principal. And she's a scary lady. And I have never seen kids move so fast. I've never seen kids change their posture and start working than that moment in time when she walked in. I mean, you would have thought that I had the best classroom management ever. And that's what happened when the when the uh when claudius came down when claudius came down they're like whoa hey we're 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 not going to touch him anymore we're not going to do one more punch we're not going to kick him one more time because they respected the man who was in charge of a thousand men to make his time to come down there because he wanted it he wanted order and he demanded order at that moment and no one wanted to mess with him So they stopped. Verse 33. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains, probably one on each arm and uh, and men on each side. So he's bound to a couple different soldiers. We saw that 
in different verses throughout Scripture. But think of this verse. What it's saying here, that he was bound and arrested and, and, and bound with two chains. If we go back to Acts 21.11, remember Paul ran into a prophet named Agabus? And Agabus prophesied. Here's what he said. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. The prophecy was fulfilled. At this very moment, and even, even we'll see next week, where Paul is, is bound by both his hands and feet and stretched, it, it, it's, it's fulfilled. Just as, as the prophet had said, just as Paul knew but he was serving God. That was Paul's goal. You know, this is the last moment in time that Paul in his life or his ministry was a quote-unquote free man. But Paul didn't care about being free or not. He said in Ephesians 6, 6.20, that he was an ambassador in chains. An ambassador in chains. I wish that that was my outlook on life all the time. That it doesn't matter how my life is, quote-unquote, going. Isn't that what we always go with? Oh, this is, this is, everything's going bad, or this is rough. We can be in change and still be ambassadors, which means that we're bringing forth a message, and the message is Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news. Verse 33 again, we'll start back there. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of people followed, crying out, Away with him! So the tribune, he's obviously demanding great respect and he didn't want them beating him up anymore he wanted to find out what what's going on what's happening and and, and he can't get a straight answer from the mob they're they're giving one answer they're giving another answer he has no clue what they're saying and then at the end they say away with him well they're not saying take him away they're saying kill him that's what that means we want him dead and they're shouting that out Again, we, we, we see the same thing with Jesus earlier. They wanted him dead. You know, we, we see this in our current society so much. People, these people didn't even know why they were mad. Do you realize that? That probably only a small group of people, the ones who were conspiring at the very beginning, they knew what they were trying to do, and they just riled everyone else up. In our current society, we see that all the time. People blowing with the wind, as I like to call it. Going with the flow. If society uh, is promoting something, we all of a sudden think it's, it's acceptable. It's a principle called social proof. Social proof. So to, to learn what's right, we look to society and say, oh, okay, that's the right thing. We see that, what, Facebook profile uh that that we change uh, we we see it with with how we uh discipline our children maybe what we're what we're doing uh as a family how we view political thoughts all these different things we aren't making up our own decisions so many times because we're looking at the society and we're driven by that and and sometimes it's hollywood sometimes it's 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 famous people that are, are speaking into us. But how is our worldview supposed to be drawn? How is it supposed to be guided? Scripture, prayer, a counsel of, of wisdom from, from people who love Jesus Christ. Those are how you get fully grounded in what you believe and who you are as a person. You shouldn't be looking to somebody else to decide if you should stand or you should sit. If you should go with it or you shouldn't. 
You should be grounded in Scripture, and you should say, hey, this is against God. This is against the Word. I am not going to stand for that. But so many times we are guided by the social, whatever the society is doing, and that's exactly what's happening here. These people are following the cries from other people, and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We saw it in Ephesus as well. All things to all people, but never against the king, the king of kings. Verse 37, as Paul is about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian, then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Man, what a moment in time this had to be. What a moment in time. First, finally we're hearing Paul speak. Dr. Luke does not tell us anything that Paul did, said, how he acted from the moment he was pulled out of that temple. We don't know if he was fighting back, if he was arguing what he was doing, or if he was just letting them beat him up. In the court of the Gentiles, as he's being kicked, when, the, when Claudius comes down and, and says, stop, halt, and he said, what is this man, who is this man, what has he done? We don't know if, if Paul says anything. Probably not. But then Paul comes in and he speaks politely to the man. Man, I got to imagine Paul was hurting pretty bad right here. Maybe his words were even slurred from, from having fat, multiple fat lip sections and, and maybe his nose was broken and, and, and maybe he was just injured severely already concussed. Who knows what was going on at this point? But he politely asks him. Isn't it interesting, uh, Dr. Luke doesn't even tell us about his injuries that he sustained. You know, Paul had been accustomed to taking on tons of pain through the, through the scriptures we read, all those different things. He had a miraculous Ability to handle the pain and keep moving forward, keep his focus on God. Paul being all things to all people, he speaks Greek uh, to the Roman soldier. And it was a big deal because an Egyptian, if he, he was the Egyptian guy, he would not have been smart. He, he, would, he would just spoke his language. He would, have, he would not have been a learned man. But to speak Greek means that he was he was somewhere at some point in his life being educated. And Paul lets Claudius know that he's from Tarsus. And Tarsus is one of the three chief centers of learning in the ancient world, Athens, Alexandria, and Tarsus. This is a huge deal that he's laying out just in his quick statement that he is, uh, he, he's a learned man. And you know, at this moment in time, Claudius saw Paul as an equal and maybe even higher. And so that's why he automatically started honoring him and appreciating him because of where he was from. It didn't even matter what his life was like. It was where he was born. That's a big deal at that time. And, and really because of Paul's polite posture too. How he approached the situation uh, gave him permission to speak. Verse 40. And when he had given him permission to speak, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Another powerful moment. The man that this whole mob is about to execute, and, and they see him carried off by the soldiers in chains. They're like, he's done, he's dead. Now, all of a sudden, this man is standing on the steps and stands there and holds up his hand. 
almost like a quarterback that, that's quiet in the, his home crowd so he can call out his signs. Everybody starts quieting down. They want to hear, what, what is this guy going to say? Maybe out of interest? Maybe. Maybe out of like, how's he doing this? He, he's supposed to be killed right now by the Romans. Or maybe they're thinking, how, how is he even speaking right now? We hit him so hard. Maybe they're just stopping and, and saying, wow, he's speaking in my language? In Aramaic, the Hebrew language. You know, Paul, his entire life, wanted this moment to preach to the unbelieving Jews. Where did he go? Every city he stopped. He went to the synagogue where he, he knew he could get in right away and he would preach to the Jews. Now he is getting his opportunity in Jerusalem right at the temple with thousands of people there to share what? To share the gospel. To share his testimony and to proclaim everything is about God. If we're to live a selfless life, one thing, we, we should be all things to all people and second, we need to put God above everything. Put God above all things. What a moment in time. We're going to see how Paul continuously made choices that brought him to this. He continuously made choices because he lacked wisdom in Jesus Christ early on in his uh, Jewish life that drove him to the point where he came to Damascus and onto his face. And he, he, he's empathizing with these people that are hurting them. Paul wrote in Galatians, he said, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That's his whole life. That's everything he's focused on. Being all things to all people, Paul addresses them. Uh, in Aramaic, I'm sure Claudius is like, what? Greek? Aramaic? What? You could speak multiple languages? And he had the people's attention. He had their attention. And, and it says that they even got quieter. They even got quieter. Chapter 22, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. Remember, this is, he's an apologetic. This is apologetics, which isn't an apology. This is a case. It's a positive word. He, he's making his defense. He's helping them understand, hey, here is how I got to this point. I am a Jew. But something happened. We'll get to that. And when they heard he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. Why are these people angry in the first place? Well, half of them don't understand why, but the part of people that do, they're upset because he is preaching the gospel. He is preaching this good news about this man named Jesus Christ. That this, this man who was a Jew lived, died, and was resurrected and eventually ascended. He's telling everybody about this, including Gentiles. That's why they're mad. They don't want that message out there. They want you to follow the law, the strict law, and the only place you can truly get to God and truly speak to God is the holy of holies and following all of the rules and laws that's why they're upset they 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 had not been freed from the gospel yet from their deep um, legalism 
So Paul, he makes a defense. He's reminding everyone that he's a Jew of Jews. He was educated by Gamaliel. You remember who that guy is? Early on in Acts, Acts 5.34, it says, But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, he stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Paul's saying, hey, everyone, everyone here remembers Gamaliel. I don't know if he was dead at that point. Everyone remembers him. He's the man who taught me. He taught me the ways of following the law. He's connecting dots for them. And he's saying, you know what? I, too, am zealous for God and was zealous for God. So I get it. I get why you just did this to my face. I get it why I can't walk right now. I get it. You think that I don't care about the Torah, about the law. You think that I am trying to do something outside of God's will. I was just like you. Just like you. Isn't that interesting? We do that in our testimony, and we should. We're connecting dots. You know what? I made that same mistake when I was your age. Oh, man, I should tell you some stories. I made way worse than that. I get it. I understand why you're doing that. But, he gets to that but. Continue on verse 4. I persecuted this way, referring to following Jesus. I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who, who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem and be punished. He's letting them know if somehow, some way, you can dig up 30 years of, of letters, you can get the high priest from 30 years ago, you can get the elders from 30 years ago, they can tell you. I was a Jew of Jews. I followed the rules. I followed the law. I knew the law inside and out. I still know the law, but I've been freed. So go ahead and look me up. I did all of those things. And you're saying I don't understand the, the laws. You're saying I don't know them. And, and not often do you want to relive those days when when you are running away from God and telling everybody about him. But here, he's just helping them understand, this is who I was. I'm a devout Jew. I was a man who followed the law to the T. But something happened to me. And this is the big change. Verse 6. And I was on my way and drew near to Damascus. About noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me quick point here this is the first time that he says the time of day of when this happened just an interesting note here he says at noon this happened so when the sun would be the brightest he says a great light bigger than the sun that was high noon which is super cool to hear about we talked about that at the christmas series if you remember we talked about uh, the glory of the lord uh, sh uh, shining on the shepherds and how it was so bright. Moses, he could only see the back of God because he couldn't see the full glory of God. And here he's talking about the light that shone so bright. Remember, it blinded Paul. He couldn't see because of that. All right, moving on. Verse 7. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. By this way, by the way, this encounter, first of all, he's, he's making sure that they understand who Jesus is. He's Jesus of Nazareth. That's crucial for the listeners. But he is saying that it was God who did this. God is the one who met me. Not me initiating the contact. God initiated the contact that's very important in this statement god is the one who stopped me in my tracks to live a selfless life you must put god above all things god is the reason god is the reason verse 9 now those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice 
of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? Probably the best question that each of us should ask. What shall I do, Lord? What a great testimony. He's putting God above everything else. This is a question we have to be asking constantly ourselves. What shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? God wants to hear our request about, about all those needs we have, about all the things that, that we've done. He wants to hear our confessions. But in the end, he wants us to ask, what shall I do, Lord? We need direction. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. I must go so he can come, Jesus said. So the Holy Spirit can guide us. What shall I do, Lord? He's pointing to God for the reason for his actions. He's pointing to God. What shall I do, God? I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait and I need your guidance. And that's the question we have to ask. You know, frankly, he's blaming God for his salvation. He's blaming God for eventually his ministry going out to the Gentiles. He's setting them up this is all about God. If you want to blame anyone, don't blame me, Paul. Blame God. Beautiful testimony, because guess what? God is above all things. God is above everything. Verse 10. And the Lord said to me, Rise and go to Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed to you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus, verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, interesting he points that out, he was following the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me, he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear his voice from his mouth. For you will, bear, will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Again, Paul is pointing to God as the one, the one who's doing all the guidance. He goes back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's talking about the fathers. He's again connecting dots for them. But, but it's, it, it's all about God. And he even says in here that he was instructed that he would bring the message not just to the Gentiles here, he'll say that in a minute about the Gentiles, but to everyone. That include the Jews who were hearing the message at this moment and heard it in all the places he went to. Verse 16. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I'd returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. He's making a statement here. I won't, I'm not going to go into the baptism stuff. We can talk about that for a lengthy amount of time. But he is saying that he already knew Jesus Christ. He was already a follower of Jesus Christ. He was a follower of the way. Yet, when he came to Jerusalem, where did he go? To the temple. He's again saying, I didn't leave all of that, meaning I still followed the rules and followed that practice, and I'm all things, all people, and I went into the temple, and I fell into a trance. He's connecting, helping them understand. He's still following those Jewish traditions. When I'd returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance <coughs> and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly. This is God, by the way. Make haste and get out to Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. That's God. He's listening to God. He fell into a trance. We saw that with Peter some time ago on the roof, if you remember. Peter fell into a trance. Uh, it's, it's a very high uh, spiritual moment here. And Paul is, is telling the people about this. 
I was in the temple. I fell into a trance. And what did God tell me to go and preach and share this message to the Gentiles? To live a selfless life, one must be all things to all people. Be willing to, to, to do all kinds of different things so you can connect with them, so you can uh, share the gospel with them in order to win them to Jesus Christ, all without ever compromising your faith in Jesus. And you do this for one reason, obviously, uh, to win people. Win people to the faith. That's why you put God above all things. You make him everything. Uh, everything, uh, you, you allow the Holy Spirit to guide your ways. And then, finally, the third point, you believe that God can work in all things. God can work in all things. Paul's letter in the Romans, you, you guys know this one, and we know that for those that, who love God, those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul's reflecting with the people while he's given his defense. He goes, you know, I killed Stephen. I approved of killing Stephen. I'm as good as a murderer. But God used that moment in time Somehow, of my ridiculous imprisonment and even murder of people to push me to share the message with all the Gentiles. God used that moment. Because if, if Paul wasn't a persecutor of, of Jews turned Christian, he might have never gone into all of those places, Thessalonica and uh, Philippi and, and, and Corinth and, and Ephesus and, and all of those places that he went to. We see the seven churches in, in um, Revelation identified that came out of his preaching in Ephesus. All of those churches and, and, and the, the multiplication factor that happened might not have happened if he wasn't such a bad dude early on, but yet God used those things. You don't be a bad dude so God could use those things. But I'm saying in spite of our weaknesses, God can use everything. Do you believe that? Do you trust that God is working in and through your life even though you are not perfect? I'm thankful that in spite of my weaknesses, God is strong. In spite of my lack of wisdom and knowledge, God is all-knowing. In spite of my sinfulness, I serve a perfect God, a perfect Savior that's always been perfect. And I think Paul would agree with John the Baptist. And I'm hoping you echo these exact same words. He must increase. Decrease. 